This episode is brought to you by the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Learn more at slashandcast.net. Hey, yo, tell me what's in the box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask Greg to do the accent, yeah. Hello and welcome to the Conjecturing Horrors podcast. With me is Laura. Hello. And Greg. Hey guys. And I'm your host Rob. How's everybody doing tonight? Sweet. Great. Nice, Rob. Doing good. Doing good. How's the How's the gold room tonight? Is it Is it uh, Is it bumping tonight? It's very gluttonous tonight. Oh, very <laughs> gluttonous. There's a couple of gluttons in there. Very lustful. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I, I, I I think I saw a sloth. Yeah. <laughs> You know, you yeah. saw him. You saw the sloth upstairs in the bedroom. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Instead of a furry bear with a sloth, with a sloth a outfit. Sloth. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, <laughs> he was getting he was getting a slow workover. Yeah. That's definitely a different different kind of sin there. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you can't tell, like to take their time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'm just like, dude, you got to hurry up. Come on, man. I got shit to do. Yeah. Um, so as you could tell, we're, we're doing uh, the movie seven this week, talking about the seven deadly sins, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 1995 film. Uh, Greg actually has a little outfit, right? Greg, what do you got going on? Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm coming as Agent Summers, uh, not Summers, Agent Mills. That's a uh, Brad Pitt's character. I've got my leather jackets. I've got my bandages over my mm-hmm. cuts uh, after I just got worked by the uh, nemesis in the movie. And I've got my handmade, if you can see that. That's a handmade tie? Yeah. You oh made that? Oh, <laughs> it's got little basketball hoops. And oh, I mean, this is, good. I've never seen a tie like this in, no. in the movie. No. Um, and it was just so, it, it stood out. I, I had to make this. Damn. That's awesome, Greg. dude. I, yeah, I thought that's you just cool. had like a random funky tie because he does wear funky ties in this movie. <laughs> wow. That's, that's cool, man. That's cool. I thought you would have went full out and did like frosted tips on your hair or something or Dang. You know what? There were, I I have done that once when I, in high school. It was the worst decision I ever made. I don't know if I was trying <laughs> I, to emulate Brad Pitt, but I don't know a person that alive that has tried to emulate Brad Pitt. I did, I did Pitt it too in high school. Lives. I did it too in high school. My hair was curly, so I was trying to go for that Justin Timberlake look when he had like curly oh, no. uh, highlights right. on and everything like that. It it did not look well, guys. It did not. I, no. I did not look like Justin Timberlake, so I don't know why I thought I would look like him in general, but uh, yeah, not good, not good. Yeah, you guys, it was a whole thing. Everyone in yeah. my high school did it too. It was the it was the nineties, like early two thousands. What was that? Early 2000s. Early 2000s? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, well, we got no excuses, Greg. Sorry. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I have an outfit to you tonight. Um, I'm not as creative as Greg. Like, I didn't make a cool shirt or anything like that. I literally just have a box that I, I can put over my head, you know? Uh, I'll put it on right now. How does my audio <laughs> sound? Is my audio sound better? A lot worse. A lot worse audio? Okay, yeah. Uh, I just have a box on my head, you know? <laughs> thinking outside of the box. Well, in the box, in, maybe inside the box. Yeah, yeah I'm thinking yeah, inside the box tonight. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's the only outfit we got going on tonight. There, Laura, you got nothing going on tonight, right? Just uh, yourself. Nope, just me tonight. Just you. Tonight. Sorry to disappoint. No, yeah, you're you're okay, Laura. You're okay. You're doing good. Yeah. Uh, so let's. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, so if you want to see what we're wearing tonight, uh, you got to check out Twitter and Instagram at Conjecture and Pod. We're posting those pics there. Uh, so now let's get to the main thing here. Speaking of this movie, Seven, what's in the box? Let's. We got what's in the cups. And I thought for tonight, Greg, you got to do it live, man. You got to yeah. do a live one, right? 
Yeah. And really channel your your Brad Pittness. And uh, you know, you got the outfit on, your mills. You know, think about, I don't want to say think about your wife's head in a box, but, you know, think about, you know, think about that channeling that, 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 that feeling in the end of this movie and get me, give me your best what's in the cups, you know? I feel like I need oh. a setup on this one. Someone's got to jump in with Summers and, and set me up for this. <laughs> what was the setup? Like, don't look in there, right? Don't look in that. Don't, there's nothing there, right? I'm like, John Doe's got the upper hand. And he's like, yeah. oh, okay. Okay, let me yeah, do Yeah, why does he say that? Mm-hmm. Put down, put down your gun. Put down your gun. Give me the gun. Give me the gun. There you go. What's in the box? Tell me what's in the box. What's in the box? <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. There was some accent in there I couldn't quite place, but uh, <laughs> it was pretty good. You know, it was a that, Boston. Boston. It was a, it was a little Boston. I don't know. I think that was yeah. when he was um when he that played like the a... uh, the Scotsman. What was that movie where <laughs> you couldn't understand what he was saying? I don't. I don't know. Oh yeah. Let's see. wait. Did you say wait? Did you did, wait? Did, he I, said box. Oh, it's, yeah. Am I he said to do box, cups? right? That's what I was. In, yeah, we're doing what's in the cup. So do it. Do it again, Greg, and I'll cut it in. Yeah. Sorry. All right. All right. Here it is. Here it is. Here you it fix is. your accent. <laughs> <laughs> what's in the cups? Tell me what's in the cups. Oh, okay. There you go. I that love was it. good. Good job, Greg. Good job. Yeah. I like it. That might be the new the new uh, new drop now. I like it. Good yeah. Job. I'm glad I woke up everyone in my house, but you're you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Nothing <laughs> for the pot. You do. <laughs> You're like, don't worry about it, child. <laughs> don't worry about it. Uh, so when are gonna we... wake up tomorrow morning, like, Daddy, I want, I want my milk in my cup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's in my bottle? <laughs> yeah, what's in my bottle? He starts yelling that around. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. So, Laura, what is in the cups tonight? What are we drinking tonight? Just very obviously a seven and seven. Nice. How can you not, right? True. So traditionally, mm-hmm. a seven and seven is a uh, Seagram seven crown and seven up. And uh, I made mine with something similar to those things. I'm not, you know, <laughs> it's like close that. enough. Close yeah, enough. I did go full Seagram seven. So oh, and it's nice. delicious. I love how simple it is. There's no, you know, when you taste certain cocktails, you kind of sit there and you swirl it around. You're like. What ingredient is that? This mm. one is just so yeah. straightforward. I love it. Nice. Yeah. Tasting Pretty good. good. Tasting good. Really I like good. it. Good choice. Good choice, Laura. Good choice. Thank you. Um, yeah. Let's uh, let's do some uh, updates real quickly just so we get to the, you know, horror's question here. Uh, we just want to remind everybody listening, you know, to uh, please rate, review our podcast wherever you're listening to it on. Um, and also, uh, do you guys have any follow-up from previous shows? Uh, Baba Duke we did last week. Anything there? Laura, are you no. still crying? Are you done crying now? No. No, I'm okay now. Thank you. You're okay now? Okay. All right. I'm glad you're not crying anymore. Greg, nothing from Baba Duke? No? No. No? (laughs) There's nothing in your basement or cellar? You know? You forgot you were crying last week, Laura? I did. I, I, yeah, blocked it all out. You blocked it out? Yeah. Did you do your Baba Duke compression to anybody after that? Oh, my God. Oh, I've been doing it all the time to my husband. Yeah. Oh, my God. Please, please don't do it again, because I'm still terrified from that, that, uh, that rendition. That was pretty creepy. You know. I won't because I'm I'm really scared to hear how it sounds. So <laughs> I won't do yeah. it again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. So uh, like we said, we're doing seven this week. This is Greg's movie pick. Greg, so why did you choose this movie? Well, I chose it for the obvious reason that we've had this running joke, albeit probably in bad taste and horrifying when you think about it. But this running joke of what's in the cups, which is is borrowed from a line in this movie toward the end so i thought with the one-year anniversary that we just rolled over um it's about time to actually watch this movie nice nice 
that's cool. That's, that's, a, that's a perfect reason to choose it. I mean, you know, it associates yeah. with the pod, so that's why we got it in there. So that's cool. Um, yeah. So before we get more into the movie here, let's do our horrorish question of the week real fast. Uh, let me get the drop going here. All right. So we got a question this week. Uh, question I came up with is pretty dark and fucked up. So I think it fits the movie perfectly. <laughs> so a uh, question I came up with, you know, this movie seven, of course, is about the seven deadly sins. So I wanted to ask you guys, if you had to pick only one of the seven deadly sins to be tortured by, which are you picking and why? So what do you think? Uh, you're both, they both just shook their heads like, <laughs> no, like, like they, this is horrible. Uh, what do you think, Laura? Which sin did you pick and why? Uh, so this is a tough question because I think even if you say it doesn't have to do with the specific kills of this movie, I feel like it kind of does because we can't make our own rules here. Right. It's like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. So when I look at that, it was between, for me, it was between um, pride and greed Mm -hmm. because I feel like for both of those, it's something that is being taken from me. And, uh, uh, you know, so I, I ended up going with pride because in this movie, um, clearly someone who, I don't know if they've even explained if she was like a model or something or why this upset her so much, but her face got basically mutilated and she had a choice and she chose to die, to yeah. overdose and die. And I would like to think that I would not make that same decision. Mm. Um, yeah. So I... And I have pride in my life, absolutely. So, yeah, I think that that's probably what I would choose because I think that's the that's the safe way out of this situation. <laughs> so you would you would just live the rest of your life mutilated, you know? Yeah, I would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you got enough masks in your closet. You can always throw on a mask. It'd be okay. You know? I mean, I I feel like there's surgeons out there. It, yeah. You know. Yeah. Okay. You can have an upgrade. You can you can maybe look better. You know, that'd be cool. You know. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Still know? worth living for. Oh, you know? yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Nice. I'd learn a giant lesson in all mm. of this. So. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Greg? Which which sin did you pick? And don't try to do a cop out, Greg. Uh, Laura, that's an interesting route you took because I feel like in this movie, the way that he that our serial killer approaches his seven deadly sins killings is that rather than take away what a person's vice is or what their sin is, he's almost like just dumping it onto them. Like, you know, careful what you wish for, or, Oh, you want to be this. Oh, I'm going to give, I'm just going to dump a lot extra on you, you know? So uh, someone who's gluttonous, he just gave him extra food, you know? So it's interesting. Um, And you kind of took the way of, okay, well, what could I do without? And you're not a very prideful person. So you could do without, you know, something that would make someone um, proud. So it's interesting. I looked at it from the opposite side, like what could I probably handle an overdose of? And honestly, nothing. I had a couple of options. What I honestly thought, and Rob, you may think of this as a cop-out, but I think I would choose Wrath because that one seems like the only one that has a high likelihood that it'll end in a swift death. Just 
you know, an overabundance of wrath should just get me killed quickly. So I don't have to suffer everything else. Every one of the other six sins has some type of suffering element to it. You know, mm -hmm. if you overdo it. So wrath, I just think, you know, just get it over with. But what's what's wrath actually mean in your thought process there? Like somebody is going to perform wrath on you. Are you wrathing somebody? I'm not sure. No, exactly so, sure. so wrath to me is just um, anger on overdrive. Yeah, right. You know, mm -hmm. someone, you know, steroids, it's it's just inflicting their hatred um, and malevolence on you. And I'm just I'm hoping I'm gambling in my guess here that that ends in just me dying quickly and I don't have mm -hmm. to enjoy any of it. Like, just, you know, a bullet mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. So it's a bit of a cop out answer, but it's because I'm actually asking not to be tortured at all. Mm -hmm. But um, that's that's the gamble I'm playing here. Mm -hmm. oh, OK. All right. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. You know, like I said, a cop out. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Rob, I already know what yours is. What's mine? No, and I feel think? like it's like I feel like it's a cop out. What's mine? I feel like Rob's gonna have the cop out. <laughs> I'm gonna have the cop out. Like I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it right now. Okay. I'm gonna be Rob. Ready? Okay. Go I'm gonna go with gluttony because you know I'm a, I'm a bigger guy. I'm a heavier set guy, and I just I think eating sounds great. That's exactly what you're gonna oh, say. So guess uh, what? You're not allowed to say that. Wait, I can't say the one that I thought oh, of. How can Lord, I not say the one? Good. No, because. <laughs> Okay, I'll do. Uh, okay, I'll do. I'll do lust because my computer got infected by a porn virus. I'll do that then, <laughs> and uh, and I and I and I die because uh, you know it just uh, my computer infects me and I get electrocuted or something like that. How about that? Is that better, Laura? Is that better than glutton? Wait. Mm -hmm. No, it's not. Oh, okay. But also, what? I don't. I don't know. You you took away the only one I thought of for three days and had a whole story built around it, and then I had to make one up on the spot. So okay, tell your tell your story. All right, tell let's let's hear. Oh, it. Okay, thank you. I'll, I'll cut it. I'll cut that out anyway. You know. Okay. <laughs> all right. So <laughs> you're gonna okay. Well, we I all mean, know what you're gonna say. Oh, I, I know. Of course, yeah. You know, my 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 one of course is gluttony. You're of course. You know, like Laura. You know, like Laura said, I'm a heavy set guy. I love eating food, but I would do a tweak on it, and I wouldn't be eating food. I would be drinking only Raise Energy drinks. You know, Raise Energy <laughs> oh, is one of the best God. energy drinks on the market today. An honest product that is exactly what it's supposed to be—a great tasting energy drink. So if I have to drink abundancy of that, you know, and die. At least I'm going out for a good cause. Uh, I got zero <laughs> zero sugar, no crash, wide flavor variety. So you can go to repsports.com. It's reppsports.com. If you want to get some uh, some raised energy, use use promo code conjecturing for 15% off a checkout. You know, get that get that raise. Be a glutton. Uh, so so that was that was my <laughs> choice, Laura. That was my choice. <laughs> there, you know, kill two birds with one store with a one stone. Get an ad out of the way. Have a good answer. Uh, I think it's good. Let's, let's, you know, you're shaking your head, Laura. You didn't like it. I am so mad at you right now. <laughs> Did I do a cop out? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You made us come up with answers to this horrid question. Mm -hmm. You claim I had a story I've been thinking about for three days, and the story was to get out of the question. <laughs> was was to was to promote an ad. You know, you know. That, that's Rob, I know. don't think. Imagine a box of rays. That's a lot of energy, man. Can you handle that? No, that's why I die. You know, that's why I don't make it through, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> this, this, <laughs> sorry, Laura. Sorry. I mean, I think it's creative. I like it. Yeah, I know. Improve. Right. You know, you got to soak in the race. Uh, yeah. So let's, uh, let's get to the movie this week now. Uh, so now it's time to, it's time to open the box. Let's open the box and get to the movie this week. We're doing seven <laughs> 1995 film uh, oh. director. You got David Fincher. Of course you got uh, alien three. He did. I know that's one that like really screwed him up and took him out of directing for a while, but then talk about all the other ones he did. Some of my favorite movies. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Then you got the game fight club, panic room, Zodiac, 
Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Social Network, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Gone Girl. I mean, I mean, he's just a great director, of course, you know, and, and it's yeah. interesting that this movie seven is the one that brought him back to wanting to direct again, uh, which is really cool. And you can kind of see from this movie really just takes off into like a slew of just epic, epic movies. Yeah. Um, then you got a budget of this movie, $33 million. And then you have a box office of $327 million. So like, that's crazy. This movie made so wow. much money in the box office. Yeah. You know? That box office. Oh. <laughs> yeah he's like what's in the box office yeah <laughs> money yeah. money is what's in the box office yeah <laughs> yeah i know yeah <laughs> uh laura you want to do interesting facts sure so we know that this movie was set in like an unknown city that had pretty bad rainy weather but did you know that the film's more brooding dark look was achieved through a chemical process called bleach bypass and that means that the silver part of the film stock was not removed which deepens that dark shadowy images in the film interesting that that makes wow. sense like looking at the movie it does have like a weird tint to it yeah i love that yeah. that's that's like a vibe that i see sometimes and i actually have seen it in a lot of his other films that he's done that's David amazing. I mean, he's definitely digging into his yeah. box of tricks um for cool. something cool. like that for sure yeah uh, Brad Pitt and Gwyneth Paltrow were actually dating at the time when this was filmed. And apparently Gwyneth didn't want to play this part. And Brad Pitt had to literally talk her into it. I do not blame her. <laughs> <laughs> you think she got to the end of the script and she was like, nope, I don't want to be this character. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> And another cool little acting tidbit here. Denzel Washington was actually the one who was first offered the role to play Mills and he turned it down and he has since said that he regrets this decision. That would have been interesting. Yeah. I actually, I found, epic. Yeah, I found that so interesting that I actually went through and, and looked up all the other actors that were up for roles in this movie. Mm. I found it very interesting of like being like, you know, Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt. They're so like this movie to me. And I think they go together so well. And so I couldn't think of anybody else playing, of course, these characters. And so like, I wanted to look up, like you said, who was offered the roles. Like we said, already, Denzel, of course, was up for Mills. And I was interest, interested too, because of like what they were coming off at the time. Mm. So, so Denzel Washington, Denzel Washington was coming off Philadelphia and the Pelican Brief. Oh, at wow. the time so that kind of gives you a time frame of like how young he was actually at that time frame you know um another one that was up for brad pitt's um role in this was sylvester stallone which i thought Whoa. there's no 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 way that works he, he would have been hey off. yo tommy was in the box yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was gonna ask greg to do the accent yeah hey you don't tell me it's in the box i'll show you box <laughs> Greg's, Greg's punching his fist right now in the air. We can, we can end the episode there. That was so perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's the one too where I was like, I was like, no, I'm like, I cannot see that. You know? That is weird. Yeah. Um, another one uh for the uh the Somerset character, Morgan Freeman's character, you had Al Pacino. Al Pacino wow. was up for the role. Wow. He was coming off Carlito's way and scent of a woman at the time. Uh, you have Robert Duvall was up for Somerset. My goodness. Uh, wow. I, I know. I mostly know him from Days of Thunder and that time frame. Um, and then you have, what's his name? Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman was another one up for the Somerset role. Were these all wow. legitimate castings that like, they went through the audition process or just the 
producers thought about or the directors thought about bringing them in. It doesn't really usually ever specify like how far into the process. These are all mm-hmm. people that were either thought for the role or turned down the role or something like that. You're talking like six of the most prolific actors in the last 30 years. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it was interesting too. like Brad Pitt was just coming off Legends of the Fall. You know, which which is interesting wow. to look back at his career and just being like that was his first movie where he was the main lead, and then you have seven, and then you have it just kind of taking off from there. You know, with with his acting. Uh, another one that was actually pretty interesting was like you said, Laura um, Gwyneth Paltrow. Of course, didn't really want to do the movie. They actually the first person they offered it to was Christina Applegate. Christina Applegate oh. was the first one they offered it to. She was coming off, uh, of course, Married with Children. She was still on that until 1997, so two years after this movie, and she did Don't Let don't tell the mom the babysitter's dead. I love her. One of my favorite actresses, actually. Yeah, so, and she and she just know. flat out, she just turned it down. She just said, like, no, I don't want to do this movie. So maybe it's the same thing as Gwyneth. Mm-hmm. Like, you read the script and being like, no, I don't want to be this character. Sorry. Um, but I just thought it was so interesting, like the casting choices. Could you see, yeah. like, could you see, like, St- uh, Sly Stallone and Al Pacino in these roles and this dynamic? I'm like, it would be insane. Like, it wouldn't work, I don't think. I, the only one out of all of those that I could see filling in the role of Gene Hackman, you need someone who's old, who could play the jaded character. Like I'm thinking Gene Hackman in um, what's that movie where he's sort of that same, he's that same character with Will Smith. Mm-hmm. It's he, he plays that role so per- perfectly. He's kind of like the wa- the old wise mentor who has seen mm-hmm. too much action uh, as a young guy and who's just ready to get out of it. Yeah. He's probably the only one out of that group I could see filling in that role. Yeah, it was. It's just so interesting. It's always interesting to look at the movies that are this old to be like who was in the process, you know, because you just can't picture like when we did the Shining episode with Jack Torrance and like it was like Harrison Ford was up yeah. for Jack and like Christopher Walken and you just like none of them could do what he did, you know. Same thing with this. I don't think anybody else would have made this pairing work, you know. Uh, Laura, do you want to do last interesting factor? You got is that it? Yeah. So just real quick, this is really interesting about the ending. Apparently, New Line executives originally hated the film's ending, um, but Brad Pitt said he would he refused to make the film if the ending was changed. So therefore, they kept it. Yeah, actually, I read something on this. I did a lot of research on this movie because I was so interested in it. I read that David Fincher was sent the script, you know, by the by the production company. And they sent him the wrong script. So like Laura's talking about, they revised the script and they took out the whole box ending and they had the movie end with just like a car chase scene and they catch him. But when they sent the script to Fincher to, to kind of be like, oh, do you want to direct this? They sent him the unrevised one with the box ending. And that's what Fincher was like. Yes, I want to do this movie. This ending is fucked up. Like, this is crazy. Yeah. And so when the studio came back to him and said like, oh, sorry, like that's not the ending anymore. It's too dark for us. He, same thing as Brad Pitt was like, I'm only doing this movie if you do the ending that I want. Yeah. I think it would have been the lamest thing, just ending it off with a car chase and they catch him. That would have, I I could see why Brad Pitt was giving the veto on that. That just totally collapses the entire movie. Yeah. I actually, I read further into this fact too. And it sounds like they were trying to tell Brad Pitt, like, don't you want your character to end as a hero? If he Mm. ends as a hero, you know, you, well, we're giving away the ending, but you don't do what you do at the end and your wife gets to live. And then they were saying, of course, what if we just put one of the dog's heads in the box? That's right. Mm -hmm. He was like, nope, we're doing it. We're doing it just the way it is. The dog said, then he would have turned into John Wick. There would have been a part two. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It would have been called eight. Yeah. (laughs) Eight. (laughs) 
Yeah, I just, I just think this movie would not work without this ending. I agree. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. Yeah, uh, do you want to do cast lore? Yeah, so obviously Brad Pitt, he plays Detective Mills. Uh, Morgan Freeman plays Detective Somerset. We have Gwyneth Paltrow as Tracy Mills. And we have, surprise, uh, Kevin Spacey. He is our John Doe. And I will just chime in real quick. I'm just going to get it off get it off our chest. We don't support or condone the actions of Kevin Spacey. We don't want to spotlight him in any way, even though we're reviewing this film. And I think all three of us support the fact that he was removed from all future projects. So yeah, I think, I think going, yeah, I think going forward through the review, if we just call him John Doe, that's probably actually more yeah. appropriate. You know, <laughs> he doesn't deserve to have a name right now. So yeah. Um, yeah. So you want to do synopsis, Laura? Oh yes. Let's see. I'll try to keep this short again. Um, so this movie takes place in a very rainy, dark, dangerous city with lots of crime. They make it seem like, and we have our one very seasoned detective. He's about to retire. And then we kind of get the newbie detective mills and they both get assigned to this case that, uh, later becomes the first of many deadly acts that they have to look into that's been committed by one person who is essentially punishing these people for committing a cardinal sin. Mm-hmm, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, so let's just start, you know, kind of with the opening setup vibe of this movie. Not really like the opening five minutes of just kind of like the beginning and maybe the first third of this movie. Uh, like what you guys kind of thought, because it's, it's pretty it's pretty apparent right up front. Like it definitely has a vibe that it's setting. Um, so what do you think, Greg, about the opening setup vibe of this movie? I love it. Very immersive. It, it takes you into the town and it makes you feel like what Laura said is it's a very dangerous place. And you get introduced to Morgan Freeman's character. He's called Somerset. I, I just keep thinking I'm going to use the name Summers because it's easy to say in my mind. And I think a couple <laughs> detectives called him that. So Summers and Mills. So Summers. Yeah. He's, he's this old scruffy detective looking to retire. He's on his way out. Um, the other detectives thinks, you know, he asks, like, they think that he asks weird questions. They think he's sort of a kook and they're happy to see him go. But um, it opens up in a crime scene. So you really just spend the first little chunk of this movie looking at Detective Summers and then looking at Mills, who kind of comes in as like the young hotshot, um, who becomes, I wouldn't say his partner. I think he's kind of shadowing him yeah. because he's going to take his place. So when, uh, Summers retires. Mills fills in his spot, and he becomes the new detective of that of that precinct. So there's a little bit of a back and forth. You know, uh, Summers continually is trying to give him wise sagel advice by saying, "Hey, pump your brakes. You're coming in with this aggression. You think you're awesome. You came from upstate. I don't know why you did that. Usually, it's the other way around. You start from the streets and then you work your way up to this office job. But for some reason, he's flipping it around, and you get a sense of that Mills has a chip on his shoulder. He feels like he has something to prove and he kind of comes in and he wants to be this hero guy. And I love the first third of this movie. You know, it it kind of goes in two tracks. One track is learning about the seven deadly sins killer, which I'm sure we'll get into. But the other track is them working into each other and understanding what each one is all about because they're essentially assigned to this case at the same time. And it's, it's definitely like the old wise sage and the young buck um, and just watching their back and forth and trying to get on, the, you know, and it's not over the top either. You know, they're both there to for a common interest, you know, in solving the case. And they're both 
talented in their own individual way. So it's just so cool to see them, um, you know, work together and, and figure out what's going on. Yeah. I thought it was great. Mm, nice, nice. Uh, what about you, Laura? What do you think of like the opening setup vibe of this movie? Yeah, I actually don't have a lot to add to that. Um, again, I just love the very moody, dark, rainy. I think, Greg, you've actually talked about this before. Like, we love movies where it's just raining. Yes, <laughs> yes. Especially detective movies. Mm. I don't know. Have you guys ever watched The Killing? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I love that. It's You know, they're in like Seattle. It's raining all the time. Anyway, so I'm a huge fan of that. Um, and yeah, I think it's great the way they set it up. I mean, it's k- kind of a typical trope. You've got the seasoned guy and the newbie and they they get along okay. But obviously, you know, he, the Summers, I guess I'll call him that now too. He kind of makes a comment like he doesn't think Mills can handle this and, or also how they want to wrap up the case. But then the seasoned detective, you know, Somerset is like, nope, there's more to this. This is, this is going to be the first of more. Um, and they kind of don't, they kind of laugh them off. Don't believe them. Um, so I did, I did really like all of that setup, even if it was sort of predictable, I just thought it was a really strong setup and I like that they just went right into it. You know, we don't Mm -hmm. need to Mm -hmm. learn, like we didn't learn any background information about Somerset. Do you realize that? Nothing. And it was, it was Mm -hmm. not even needed. Yeah, there, there's a couple scenes along the way where they have like conversations about things of his past and and, right. and like like kind of character building in those moments, but not in the opening. Like you said, Lori, sure. they're just they're in well, it. Well, they sh- they show it though. I mean, they show it very subtly, and that's the greatest thing. And I love that when there's more showing in a movie than telling. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd rather not hear a single word about his past, but yeah. yet show me the scene where he goes to his apartment, he's alone, and he walks over to his nightstand and he's got his little objects in a row. He's got his, mm-hmm. you know, um, I don't know, it, it was like his wallet, his gun, his notepad, I think his knife, yeah. just perfectly laid out. He's a very meticulous guy. He's got his clothes very pressed. You can tell just by looking at him that he spent his entire career doing the exact same thing every day without saying a single word about his history. Yeah. So yeah. great. Yeah, that's true. They didn't ever need a scene where one of the other cops was like, oh, you're so by the book. You're so clean and neat. Like they didn't yeah. need that, that, that you know, observation of like a dialogue. They had it just in the visuals in the opening. So, I, yeah, I mean, right. I agree. I thought the opening was was great. Um, I, like Laura said, very like the tone was very to me noir. It was very noir tone. If this movie was in black and white, I thought it would have been fucking pretty cool because it's so noir. Um, But I I actually, one thing you guys didn't say that I wanted to point out was just the opening credits of this movie uh, of just like the Kevin, oops, sorry, I almost said it, the John Doe, uh, like taking off his fingertips and then like going through his notebooks in the opening credits. I thought was pretty fucked up and and a great way to kind of show you a little bit of this like psychopath you're gonna like follow through this movie and and do it through the opening credits. I thought was a pretty cool touch. I couldn't tell that's what was happening. I honestly, to me, I felt like something was happening. Something was being crafted. It was very grimy. There was text i mean when you glance through it they show you just enough uh flipping from credit to credit to where you get a sense it's almost biblical you see a little bit of a needle in the thread there's this edgy lettering yeah um the nine inch nails music playing in the background oh god Uh, i mean that it was the feel i didn't i couldn't actually tell what was going on so you're saying that that was actually him john doe doing his fingerprint removal 
Yeah, that was him. Oh, like, yeah. That was him, like as, like starting the process and thinking yeah. about things and this and that, you know. Which we've talked about in multiple episodes here of like Mama, of like the opening credits are are an actual like like plot to itself, and they're used for that. It's not just the you know the actors' names over like a background. So I thought right. it was really cool they did that to give you like a little insight into like what you're gonna see. So I thought the opening was great and the setup with the characters. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. Uh, but let's get into more of like the characters, more of the acting more of like they're establishing kind of like who they are a bit you know we can talk a little bit about like you said the change of pace elements when it's just somerset and mills talking or to me one i think the most interesting scenes is the dinner scene where they're having dinner together all the stuff that's not fucked up let's talk about that real quickly you know and then we'll get into the fucked up stuff because i thought without those scenes like you you needed those scenes to have a break from the gruesomeness of this movie and to me it lets you know like who these people really are and made you care for them more but uh, what do you think greg about those scenes yeah again i'm just gonna go back to the beginning where they very subtly set up these two characters and i just i love the differences between them um yeah just going back to summer's apartment again he's just buttoning his tie tying his tie um he's got his coat pressed on the bed it's just, it's great. You know, his uh, reading glasses off to the side. When he goes to bed, he clicks that metronome and you just feel like his life is very structured. Um, and then on the opposite side, right, Brad Pitt wakes up with Gwen Paltrow. He's got, I don't know if you noticed, there was a box of Chinese food still kind of open on the on the <laughs> nightstand. Yeah. He goes to his wardrobe. All of his shirts are wrinkly. Yeah. He pulls off this basketball tie that I made. <laughs> and then, he, I don't know, you mentioned it, Rob. He's got like four or five different ties, but they're all pre-tied, mm-hmm. hanging on a hanger. So it's like he has no – and, of course, the basketball and the hoop. You know, to me, I, I figured he's always it, – it's game time for him. He's always mm-hmm. on. He's Ooh. always ready to <laughs> – always ready to go and almost <laughs> act before thinking. Where Morgan Freeman <laughs> is like, I'm going to think before acting. And I just, I love these, these two characters. They weren't over the top to where they hated each other. They were actually trying to get, get along. Um, and it's just, their, their back and forth is great. I mean, I feel like Summers is always very reserved and he doesn't say much and he's very cautionary and pessimistic. And Mills is always the one, he almost just blurts out the first thing that he says. What was that Taco Bell line? I thought anytime you can throw in a seamless Taco Bell line in the movie, I feel like you wouldn't throw those points for me. Greg's like, I give this movie a five out of five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was because he goes, oh, I worked five years in homicide upstate. And he goes, not down, you know, you haven't worked down here. And he goes, hey, man, I wasn't guarding a Taco Bell for five years. I thought that was so funny. Oh and just their back and forth. They do this throughout the movie. Again, yeah, at the, you mentioned at the dinner scene. So uh, Mills's wife invites Summers over for dinner, right? It's a casual dinner because she doesn't know anybody in the city. So she just invites his partner over. Um, it's a little bit awkward and funny, but one thing I noticed in that scene, which was so great, and it just, this is all I needed to see from these two characters. They could have not talked for the rest of the movie, and I would have understood their dynamic. He goes, so after dinner, they both start to investigate, go back to investigating the crime. They've got the paperwork, their files out on the, on the folder. And it's funny because... Mills and his wife, they moved into the city into a place where the subway every now and then like drives past their apartment and it just rattles mm-hmm. the entire place like an earthquake. So uh, Mills offers Summers a drink. He goes, you want a beer? And he goes, oh, I'll take a wine, please. 
And so he goes into the kitchen and he pour he opens a bottle of wine and he pours it into this tall glass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then he brings it over to Summers, okay, and they start going back into the case. And then the train rattles, which was so funny because then they have to hold everything down. They have to just like kind of hold their glasses down and their beard. And then when Summers holds down his glass of wine, he kind of picks it up and does this like double take for the first time. And he goes, what, the was, what did you give me? You gave <laughs> yeah. me like a cup of wine. And it's so subtle. And it's just, it just tells you everything you need to know about these two. It's so yeah. great. Yeah. Their, yeah. their relationship and their back and forth is it really just carries the whole movie. Yeah. What do, what do you think, Laura, about the characters acting kind of like some of those scenes? Damn. Yeah, I agree. And I love that scene, Greg. I'm so excited that you caught that and called that out because I, I laughed so hard in that scene. I mean, okay. These are two incredible actors. The acting was great. Uh, hands down i mean morgan freeman he can do no wrong ever you know yes yes, he cannot Uh, yeah and the characters were pretty spot on i mean obviously you're kind of slightly annoyed with mills just because you're like okay guy like shut up like (laughs) let's listen to morgan come on everyone should be listening to morgan freeman always i'm sorry i don't care who you are what whatever Mm -hmm. so anyway um but i will say though that i think brad pitt obviously pulls it not pulls it together but his acting is extremely strong in the end Mm. i mean just incredible however a lot of those in-between scenes although i agree with you guys it's needed it's necessary it's good to break up the gory crime scenes with those it you know gives you a sneak peek into their lives sometimes i was i wasn't thrilled with his acting in the beginning and I think a lot of that is just because I'm so familiar with Brad Pitt and his other movies, some which I love. And I'm like, this was early on for him. I mean, mm-hmm. this, you know, he he went on to do a lot more things after this. And so I I was a little disappointed. I've seen this movie mm-hmm. a few times, but obviously every time we watch it for the pod, we're like really watching it. And yeah. I just remember thinking like, his acting's not as good as it usually is. But then again... Then you get to the end and it's like, it doesn't matter what I may have thought he did wrong at some point during the movie because the ending, I thought he is incredible. So yeah, there were times where he, yeah, I would, I would say there were moments where it was a little bit ridiculous. He, yes. he was kind of the over the top, like, you know, it, he almost was like starting to throw a tantrum sometimes rather mm-hmm. than solve the case. When, when Summers came up to him and he was like, oh, the guy from the pizza parlor is a friend from the bureau. And then he's kind of, over here and he goes, who's stinky man? And I'm like, oh, yeah, right, that's a little bit, that's a little bit silly. This hear what he has to say, buddy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I felt like Brad, well, having a character like that, that was the problem was that I felt like Brad's acting was either, it was kind of overacting at some points because that's what the character probably called for. And that's yeah. how it was written. Mm-hmm. But then there were a few times where I, I can't remember the exact scene, but he was in the car, car and he sounded super monotone to me. And I was like, what, what? You were just screaming a second ago. What? And now you're, you've dialed it down to zero. Like, let's get to a five here. Like, you know, <laughs> let's try to find middle ground. So I, I was very surprised at this on this watch for some Interesting. reason. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I thought, I thought his acting was good all the way through. I thought, like you said, Laura, it's appropriate for that character uh, he yeah. was portraying to be kind of that neurotic. 
um mm. you know especially kind of the balance between him and morgan freeman's character to me that that is this movie is their balance like you said greg of morgan freeman somerset's like methodical the way he speaks the way he acts the way he thinks and then the complete contrast to mills who's neurotic wants to jump first wants to do this first yeah. and i thought like that to me came off in brad pitt's acting i didn't think it was overacting i thought it was just like his way of being super neurotic and fidgety and like like almost like not Tourette's ish, but being like just whatever he thinks he's going to say, whatever he wants to do, he's going to do, you know, and like that balance, I think. And that's why I thought it played so well with Morgan Freeman in this movie, which I mean, Morgan Freeman plays the same character in every damn movie, you know, and, and that's not a knock on him. We all love it. I mean, the guy plays God and we're like, sure, you know, go for it. He is God. Yeah, he I might know. be God. I don't yeah, know. Exactly. You know, yeah. <laughs> Many of us really know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I, but I, I I loved it. I thought their balance worked perfectly. I never really thought Brad Pitt was ever like over the top. I thought it was like that's the character I think. But uh, well, let's talk a little bit about Gwyneth Paltrow. She's in this movie, whether she was you know Brad Pitt had a beggar to be in it or not. But uh, you know I thought she was actually good in this movie. Yeah, you know she doesn't have a whole lot to do. Um, she has a couple scenes here and there, of course. Um, but you really have, I think, one of the, to me, like the biggest scene with her is the scene where her and Morgan Freeman are at the diner mm-hmm. and, and she pretty much tells him that she's pregnant and she hates this city and doesn't want to be here. And what do you guys think of that scene in particular? To me, that is really her scene in this movie to kind of like get her acting chops in. What do you think, Laura? Yeah, I agree. I thought it was, uh, yeah, you know, this movie does really a really good job of having very concise scenes where you know an actor might not say much or do much or be in even the rest of the movie much but it's it's got a big impact and that scene was great her acting was incredible i there was one part where she went from she was just staring him like dead in the eye and then just broke down crying It, it was in a second yeah i thought that was really great and that scene was so important to the rest of the movie mm-hmm. you know it it made the ending that much harder to watch so yeah i agree with you i agree what do, what do really you think good. Greg? what do you think about that that diner scene oh yeah you need that scene every yeah. other scene that she's in is her waking up in bed with brad pitt you know having the morning <laughs> hey good morning honey let me get the little the sleep out of your eye let me make you breakfast or something or you know it's very trivial to who she actually is or playing hostess to a dinner for for summers but we all know that everybody is always going through some type of pain some type of struggle so this is where you actually get to see it and she spills out her heart and says i hate being here there's no work for me i'm a teacher this is not the place for me we're pregnant we don't know what to do and without this scene you don't really get a a strong feel for who she is at all so this yeah definitely her moment to shine i i really liked that scene yeah because like you said like these are the little scenes in this movie that i actually really really like there's like you said laura they're super concise they're they're meant to be there for a reason and without these scenes the ending like does not work right because and also like if this scene isn't in here like you don't care enough about this character to be like oh my god like what happened at the end you know but but also morgan freeman's uh scene in that same diner thing when he talks about you know that he you know almost had a child at one point but he pretty Mm. much seems like he wore his whoever this was significant other down to abort it as far as i took it and how he regrets it looking back but still thinks it might have been the right decision because he's just so like this city this world is garbage and i don't want to like even be a part of it anymore almost yeah um but that's just such a great scene too because it just gives you more information to morgan freeman's character 
and you know who he is like deep down and why he's retiring and what he believes in and we'll get to that more at the end and what we're talking about john doe and what he's about i think they're actually kind of similar um hmm. but, but i love that scene i love i love those the quiet scenes in this you know and they work really well with the characters but let's get into let's get into the fucked up shit now let's get into <laughs> let's get into like the thrillerness of this you know the cop procedural stuff and then the gore of the i guess technically five deadly sins until you get to the end you know um you guys want to spot any out and kind of like run through them what do you think laura how you want to handle it you know for me i really like the idea of this a lot as hard as it is to watch i think it's really unique i haven't really watched a lot of other movies that take a concept like this and apply it to a serial killer but i will say there are two that were really hard for me to watch I think they're the ones that you think about when you think of this movie mm-hmm. and so for me the one of those two is is the gluttony the very first one that you open up to mm-hmm. because it's like I don't know you guys like I know we joke about it but to be forced to eat until your stomach actually explodes actually that's actually medically what happened to this mm-hmm. man yeah and just the whole scene was so gross like it's one of the scenes that we were there quote unquote there with him the longest like seeing all the surroundings seeing him just kind of like dead in a bowl of i think it was spaghettios or something he's all bound up um and there's like a bucket of vomit below which i don't do really well with vomit that's one of my things that i just you know sign me up for blood all day i'll handle your wound but if you have to (laughs) barf like when my daughter gets sick, I'm always like, dad's up because I can't do it. <laughs> well, definitely that first scene was, I think, the one that you spend the most time in. Yeah. Right. They're, they're exactly. walking around and you get a sense of the griminess of the kitchen. At some point, Mills knocks over. I think he knocks over the bucket of vomit or something. And um, Somerset mm. puts him in the penalty box and basically says, go knock on neighbor's doors and start asking questions. Um, so they were just walking around. So you, that one, you definitely, there are other scenes and sins later on, murder scenes down the road where you don't really see it or you're kind of outside of the room. But this one, I could see it really getting to a lot of people just because of you're immersed in it and you see every yeah. corner of it and you every see the, the plate of pasta, you see the vomit. It's just, ugh, it's, it's terrible. It's, it's really really bad. you guys consider this is interesting like i picked this movie as a horror movie but like i consider it more of a horror-ish do you, oh, do you see it yeah. as a horror like a traditional horror movie no horror yeah it's 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 i mean it's a thriller it's, it's, it's a thriller a, it's, a, thriller. it's a thriller yeah. movie that but but it, but it's it's gory and, and gross enough to be like oh, okay it goes in there you know yeah i think the difference is like okay there is a serial killer at work but since our main characters aren't themselves the target of the murders, or at least for a while, maybe it just doesn't seem like a horror movie in the traditional sense. Um, I don't know why, but the way you worded that sentence, you're like, there is a serial killer at work. And I'm like, you have what? You have a serial killer at your work? <laughs> no. Oh, Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> not, at, That's funny. not at my work. It's just he's uh he's in the act of working his oh my god killerness <laughs> but i mean yeah you, you you see bits and pieces of, of the grim scenes over and over again to where it's it's unquestionably 
horrific. So yeah, it's it's definitely a horror-ish film. It's not like, you know, the old days it was uh, Sherlock Holmes, they would see murder scenes, but not like this. This is mm-hmm. really gruesome. Yeah, I mean, this is literally Saw. It's it's Saw. Yeah, it, you know what yes. I mean? And, and that you consider full horror. You don't ever question, is that horror? And it's really this movie. It's just a little more of the detectiveness of Detective it instead side, of like yeah. being like about the gruesomeness. So yeah, I definitely consider it horror fully. Um, the, what was your second one, Laura, that you wanted to spot oh. out? The second one was lust. I just, I mean, the to me, with the hooker. Yeah, to me, that's the sex one, worker. Yeah. Sex worker. Rob, oh, sorry, please. sorry, sorry. Uh, Jay Walker. Yeah. Hey, no. Jay Walker. Sex worker. What? Sex worker. Oh, that brought to the Jay Walker. <laughs> I didn't know that. I was wondering where you bridged the gap. Um, that's when his name is Jay. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like none of the other ones, even if there was a ton of blood or like even some form of facial or body mutilation you know one had one on like a side it's like you could have shown lust so many levels before this level Mm -hmm. this to me was so bad it's i don't even want to describe it you guys can handle it i'll just yeah (laughs) it's just it's, it's honest. Rough. It's honestly like when people, at, you know, say the movie, when Greg said he's, we're doing the movie seven, like this was the first image that pops in my mind is like this mm-hmm. lust scene with the guy and he has the device strapped on him and you don't even see the device. It's like a blanket no. over him, but it's just like what they're implying. And mm-hmm. then of course you go into the inter- interrogation scene. I mean, his acting oh. in that scene was spot on, you know, yeah. like the way he was breathing and panting, almost trying to keep in from like hyperventilating, crying of being like, you know, then he, you know, made me fucker and this and that. And, oh, uh, and then, then your, your mind starts picturing it as much as like, you don't want to, you like, you start imagining like what that would be. And to me, this is the most fucked up one. It's actually one of the yeah. ones where they show the least amount of gruesomeness though, too. Mm-hmm. I guess they right. probably couldn't show it. It would have been, yeah. they wouldn't even, you'd be like NC 17 rating or some shit like that. But, uh, but I forgot looking back that they actually showed the device in a picture. Cause yeah, I don't remember, did. I don't remember that. You know, I remember seeing this movie and being like, I thought it was all implied. They don't show mm. shit. But the fact that they showed the image in a photograph, <laughs> I was like, holy crap, because I didn't remember that. You didn't see shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Laura wishes she didn't see shit in this. Yeah. Um, yeah which is which is crazy. To me, that that is like the worst one. And as much as it's like the one they actually show the least. But oh, my goodness. What about you, Greg? Did you want to spot one out? I mean, those two are pretty much the top for me. If I yeah. were to add another one, it would probably be I think it was it was sloth to where they Oof, think yeah. that they're on to the killer. And of course, the headstrong, the SWAT team guys, first ones out of the box to bust open the door and get into this guy's apartment. And they think they got him. Um, they think they've got the actual killer, John Doe, you know, boxed in and they're going to catch him. But you know what? It's not him. He sets up this scene where he's got this guy you know, basically strapped to a bed and he's been there for a year and he's kept oh him torn. God. You, you yeah. see these photos that were taken periodically over the, the time period of a year and you think, wow, that must have been a horrible death. And then he comes back to life. He's alive. Mm-hmm. I think that just sounds like the worst torture. I mean, I've had stomach pains where, it, it, you know, there's a kind of a minor type of ulcer before. And just going through 10 hours straight of that is probably the most torturous thing I've ever felt in my life. Can you imagine being tortured for a year on a bed? Um, that was, yeah. you know, with the exception of the other two gruesome ones, this was probably the most 
horrific when you think about the uh, the torture aspect. Yeah, and I think this is really the point in the movie where the John Doe character, you realize, like, holy shit, like, this guy, I mean, yes, of course, he's crazy. He's been doing all these crazy things, but, like, to take a year to yeah. set this up for this payoff like 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 the somerset guy says of like this guy is methodical this guy is mm-hmm. is this and that's when you really are like oh my god this guy's so fucked up you know for this one scene and it's almost like the only jump scare ish in this movie when the guy <laughs> breathes you know because it's like oh my god it, it's pretty <laughs> creepy yeah it's pretty creepy and actually, like, oh! yeah i i read a really funny tidbit about this one too and that is that they didn't tell the swat team oh the that actor? He was going to do that. They thought. Oh, the oh actors, no way! SWAT team actors thought he was going to be dead. So then, when he came alive, wow. and they jumped, that's them really jumping. So like, oh shit! Smart. They did not that's, know that they're going to do that. That's so awesome. That's <laughs> so, so awesome. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. I would have yeah. been pissed. I was. I would have been like, I am not acting in this anymore. <laughs> Fuck you guys. I'm out of here. That's pretty good composure. I thought it was going to be like when I went to when I went to Halloween nights and I got scared and I punched the guy in the face. Like I'm surprised they didn't like punch that guy in the face on the bed. You know, I can't oh. believe you punched a guy in the face. You boxed him. Yeah, yeah. I, bought, I put him in a box. Yeah. Uh, oh my god. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like I said, yeah. You know, we talked about the gore in this movie. It is definitely part, not even part of the movie. It is more or less 50% of this movie. And a lot of people say that like, this was the beginning of torture porn. I don't, I don't know if I really agree with that. Where do you guys lie on that? As far as like, this was the beginning of torture porn. What do you think, Laura? Mm, I think it's borderline, but I agree for me. Like when you say this is saw, it's similar, but saw to me, it was the beginning of that. Hmm. Yeah. It's like, it is on the border because the only way that they get around showing this is by investigating it rather than watching it happen. The moment you watch it happen, then it becomes saw, then it becomes, you know, unforgivable and not showable to people. So this is like the gateway drug to a lot of Mm -hmm. that torture porn. I think Um, 95, I don't know what else was. I know audition came out in 99. So yeah, this is pretty early in that, in that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot, of, a lot of directors, writers saw this and they were like, "Let's take it further, guys. Let's make this yeah. more gruesome." You Let's know? show the whole process and then some. Yeah, it's tough. Like I, someone at some point, someone has to do it. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it's it's like it's like opening a Pandora's box. You know, once it opens, then every other movie that comes after it is just going to build and build and try to do something new and do something more innovative and, and creepy. And it's just it's inevitable. It seems. Yeah, I mean, like we said, this this movie made $350 million worldwide. So, you know, all the studios are like, we need to make a torture porn gross movie, guys. What do you got? And they're like, oh, I know I can do even grosser than that. You know, so yeah. it's just like if it's from the studios, it's from the people. It's like it's, it's just part of, a, a, you know, our nature to try to go a little bit farther than the last guy. So, yeah, uh, but but the movie doesn't work without the actual cop procedural thriller part of it, which is why I think this is like the perfect balance between the two you know you go one way or the other and it's not gonna be as great a movie to me you know yeah mm-hmm. yeah let's uh let's talk about you know directing production design i know greg really wanted to spot this out uh so what do you want to talk about greg oh man just all the sets we we, we talked about all of the crime scenes they're just so immersive you know in, in some ways i you know having seen a lot of the saw movies and a lot of it one part of me having watching this movie again sort of checked out because 
Some of the scenes seemed a little bit overproduced. It, it was almost like looking at, you talk about Halloween Horror Nights, Rob. It, it was almost like watching a movie full of these horrific mazes that, that you go and see now. Hmm. I think um, at the time it may have been really creepy, but now it just kind of seems, seems commonplace. It's almost too grimy, too disgusting, and too filthy. But if you can put aside your biases, the sets were just, I mean incredible um and the way that they again shot the movie talking about mills and, and summers you know there were so many scenes where just to get a feel of who these characters were you would always see summers in kind of a fixed position he was very composed and the camera shot was just always still but then then it switches over and you see mills get up and down spinning around in his chair moving around the cameras following him around and it makes you feel like he's so sporadic and he's so off the cuff and just the way that it was shot um, was just so amazing to me. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Lur? Do you want to spot out any directing production design, anything in the scenery? I mean, I think I've already mentioned this, but this is, it really was like Fincher's style, but a nineties version of it. If you're familiar with his other like bigger movies that have come out since then. Um, but one thing that I want to spot out that he does do in a lot of his movies, and he did in this one as well, is just he has these close-up shots. He doesn't do it often, but when he does, he has these close-up shots of the actors, and it's like you just really are feeling what it's like to be this specific human and it's almost like if they're experiencing grief or whatever it is, and it's this close up, you can't even shield your eyes from the horror of it. It's just so in your face. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I really like that. And I think it worked for a lot of the scenes in the end, especially. Yeah, yeah. And I, I agree. I thought the directing was on point. I mean, geez, there, there's so many like iconic scenes in this movie that are just, you know, positioned perfectly. I mean, one of the ones that just comes to mind, I thought was so great is the scene where, where there, where there's a chase scene between um, John Doe and Brad Pitt's character and John Doe gets the upper hand on him and hits him with a tire iron, I think, or something like that. And he, mm. you know, John Doe is pretty much holding a gun to his head and the camera kind of shoots to where it's like looking through Brad Pitt's eyes a bit. So you're seeing the gun like really close in frame and then you have the background, but it's blurry and raining of like, to me, that's what the scene where I put in my notes, like, oh, this is noir. Like, this is fucking crazy. You know, I love mm-hmm. that scene. I thought that scene was just such a perfect scene. As far as, like, production design goes, like like Greg said, I mean, everything was so dirty and grimy. To me, it works. To me, I never felt it was overdone. I mean, this definitely this whole movie is based in a fucked up city, but it's dialed up to 100. You know, so it kind of, for yeah. me, fits. Uh, it was interesting, too. I read one thing that... Before Fincher uh, took this uh, movie, uh, Guillermo del Toro was offered the movie. And so, like, you know, Guillermo and like set design and like, just think how fucked up the sets would have been if Guillermo del Toro would have been involved. Oh, my God. You know what I mean? Like that guy, like put so much detail into his sets that it would have been even crazier. But uh, but I love the set design, the production design. I think it just makes you feel the dirtiness of every scene you're in. It makes you like live it, you know? And there's just so many that that was one thing I noticed. There are just so many scenes in general. And I, what I liked was that you got to, you got to really feel the city and you got to really feel the, the police life. I mean, I loved how they sort of just portrayed their detective work. You know, it's like the police life is not this box of chocolates with explosions and donuts. And there was one chase. Okay. But besides that, there was a lot of mundane stuff. Like they're just sitting around reading books or sitting, waiting for fingerprints to match. And, it wasn't just all like, uh, you know, 
stuff that you see on TV. So definitely just showing a lot of the regular everyday street life of a, of a police officer was so cool. Yeah, it's funny because it's almost like a really fucked up lethal weapon movie. You know, <laughs> where there's like the old cop, the young cop, he's a little out there yes. and they're chasing criminals. And but it, yeah. that's funny. And this is like the dark fucked up version right of that, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, but before we move on to kind of the ending here and talk about that, I do have to ask Greg, you know, there's a scene in this movie where where uh, John Doe has like thousands of journals and they show the journals and what the pages look like. And we have to call out Greg. We've seen your notebooks, Greg. <laughs> like, like for real. He is showing us some of his his images that he writes and how he writes super tiny laura you gotta back me up right oh doesn't God, greg's it's... notebooks look like these guys journals yeah a little bit which is crazy <laughs> because when they're creating these scenes they're like how would a serial killer write yeah exactly right <laughs> even to the t of like there's certain parts in the journal where he'll have like a little picture he drew or like he circled certain <laughs> things and like looking at greg's notebooks <laughs> he literally does this so i mean yeah. i don't know if we can ever throw up a picture of, of an image of greg's journal side by side with this john doe's journal and people can decide for themselves but it's it's uncanny that these journals are, are from greg's mind i think oh well this is the thing there was a there was a common theme and you I feel like the crux of this movie is that bar scene where Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman are just chatting about apathy, right? And mm. what that means. And um, Morgan Freeman does say something like, okay, it's not just, we're not just talking about crazy people. These are everyday people that get crazy and they become psychotic through a series of events. So you, while it's not like their crimes are forgivable, we have to understand what bridges the gap. So it's, this is where it's like, I look at those, you know, silly books. I even pause it a couple of times and it's all just gibberish pretty much. Right. Yeah. But I, I understand like, yeah, when I write my movie notes, it does feel like the writings of an overthinker, which I find myself to be oftentimes and where you just, you just keep writing because your brain is filled with thoughts. And if you don't get it out, then it gets stuck or it gets lost and you don't want to lose it. So I understand that aspect of it and it kind of not that it needs to humanize a, a serial killer, but just the fact that, you know, people like that often start somewhere normal and then they they're driven to insanity by, you know, some type of principles that they're trying to follow. So. Yeah. All right. You say so, Greg. You'll see. You know, <laughs> it, might, it might be part of the evidence someday, you know. <laughs> <laughs> have to turn in all your notebooks uh, uh but let's get to let's get to the ending now let's get to the ending laura do you want to set up the ending kind of like where we're at uh building up to the ending of this movie yeah um yeah i feel like the build-up in the ending is god god probably where most most of it lies here so this is going to be kind of hard but um yeah i was gonna say let's 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 start with you know let's start laura with your topic you want to talk about like the john doe almost being caught when they find his creepy greg journals uh you know <laughs> uh like you know changing his plan so you kind of want to go through that and talk a little bit about that laura yes yeah, so our john doe is almost caught probably a little over halfway through the movie yeah it's pretty much halfway and he's almost caught by Mills and Somerset. And there's a whole chase scene. And he ends up getting away. And he has an opportunity to kill Mills and doesn't. But one thing, there, there are many twists, actually, in this movie. And one of the twists is that there is an earlier scene where uh, Mills is kind of attacked briefly by a photographer reporter. That's him. That's yeah. John Doe. So he knows what Mills looks like. And now all of a sudden they are at, they find his front door. They find his apartment. And so they're there 
thinking, okay, we, this might be our guy. And he starts coming down the hallway and sees them and starts running. So they know, oh my God, this is it. This is the guy. And so there's a whole chase scene. And what happens from this scene is that John Doe had a plan for all seven of these sins, all seven of these deaths. And so, you know, there were going to be two other bodies, you know, we don't know how or where, when we find them, but there was a plan. And because of this whole situation of what happened with Mills, he is now like, oh, I'm going to change my plan and involve this guy. It's like Mm. become kind of personal. But I love that because it just actually shows you how fucking crazy he is that these other two bodies were probably just going to be two bodies. And now he knows that one of those bodies is now going to be his. And he is okay with moving forward with this new plan because in his eyes, he is just doing something that's going to scream a message that he wants the world to know, that he wants everyone to remember. And it's going to affect Mills in a way that he wants that to affect Mills. And unfortunately, it's going to end with his life being taken and he is okay with that. And I think that is fucking crazy. Like, to me, that was almost a bigger twist than the end. Oh, wow. (laughs) I just thought that was so incredibly Mm -hmm. written. I I don't know. I thought that was really cool. And it was kind of nice to have some twists before the end, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that's interesting because I took it as just this was the plan the whole time. And just he had to move up the time. Well, he was taking his photo before this happened, though. So he was already took a picture of Mills. So I thought he was already thinking about Mills or at least he wasn't one of the taking Mills's photos, though. He was going back to one of his kill mm-hmm. scenes and pretending mm-hmm. to be a reporter photographer just to, like, see what they were saying, see if they were mm-hmm. on to him. Well, that was probably where he changed his mind because Mills comes down the stairs and he throws a fit. He throws his wrath at him. He's like, hey, you can't be up here. This is a crime scene. Get out, get out. And I think he even hits his camera out of his hand. So maybe in that moment, John Doe, well, one, feels threatened. Two, maybe that's where he switches gears. He's like, oh, I've got my wrath right here. And then maybe he took it step by step and thinking, okay, well, I'm going to kill this guy. I'm going to look into his life. And then when he did look into his life, because there was, he said something later on, you'd be surprised what kind of information you can find on police officers. Yeah. Right. He looks into his life and he actually finds out he's got it pretty good. You know, he gets paid a lot. He's a good looking guy. You know, he has a a beautiful wife. Um, And I suspect that in looking into his life, I mean, there are times where they make Brad Pitt out to be not the sharpest tool in the box, right? But yet he still is doing the job and he's still getting paid and still getting his work done. If you're a serial killer, you hate that. You hate that this is the guy that's on your trail. And I think he felt envious and maybe by him feeling that envy in looking into it, then again, like you said, Laura, that's maybe he switched his plan and and he became his own victim. He's like, hey, I'm no different than anybody else. I'm also a sinner. I'm also, you know, the product of envy and decided to rope himself into it. I looked at it as like, yeah, he changed gears. Um, See, you could very well be right. And I do think I agree that he looked into him after this encounter and had all that information. But I, I feel like the scene where he has the gun to his head and pauses If he is so meticulous and such a planner and actually kind of brilliant when it comes to that thing, those types of things, I feel like that was very, that, that was uncharacteristic then, because if the plan was always to go after Mills in that way, he would have just ran. 
but to put the gun towards his head and kind of pause. And then you could feel that decision almost being made like, uh, no, I'm going to fuck with you later. Mm. I I don't know. I feel like Mm -hmm. he probably got the information after the photographer encounter, but that to me was the moment where he was like, no, this is, I'm, I'm going to get you. Just Mm -hmm. wait. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I can't, I'm trying to remember back to the one scene where the phone rings and they have a little conversation. And and I yeah. know John Doe says you you're making me move up my time frame, but I don't remember him saying change, change anything. I thought that's all he said was you're making me pull up, move my time frame. That's it. Unless I unless I uh, remember incorrectly. And he also says change something. I, I don't know. I thought he did, but I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe if anybody listening, if you clearly remember that scene, you know, email us in conjecturing pod at Gmail or, uh, you know, Twitter, yeah. Instagram, at conjecturing pod, let us know directly. Cause I, I always thought for this guy to plan this for a year, like I always thought this was still the plan. Yes. He almost got caught and it made him move the time frame up. Cause he knows he doesn't have time to hide. He has nowhere to go. But I always thought like this was the plan still to to take one of these cops, whoever's investigating this mm. and make them part of it, even though he couldn't know. Oh, at the but time, not knowing who the cop was going to not be. knowing who, That's... not knowing, you know, which one is possibly married. He's just maybe assuming that I don't know. But I, I don't know. I'd be interested yeah. to hear what people think. But uh, let, let, Laura, do you want to set up the ending more, Laura, after this? You know, OK, scene, set it up. Yes. Yeah, so we have our scene where John Doe turns himself in. And that's also another twist because a you don't know who the actor is playing him i don't think yet at this point mm-hmm. if you're a first time viewer but also the fact that he's turning himself in it's really shocking it was a good twist um so he is in custody obviously um but he's saying oh there's another one or two bodies he's telling everybody that and he and this is a little unbelievable but it's the 90s we'll let it slide right <laughs> he basically talks his lawyer into talking the detectives into let him show you where this other body or I forget if he said it was two, one or two, two bodies, mm-hmm. two bodies are because, you know, and then I think Somerset even agrees like these people belong. They have families. They belong to somebody. So like, let's let's close this. Let's figure it out. But one of his stipulations is that the two detectives have to escort him to this crazy area in the middle of nowhere. So they drive out to the middle of nowhere And when they reach the destination um, that John Doe says, this is it, a delivery truck starts to drive down the road. I don't know how far you want me to go with this, Rob. So (laughs) no, just, just, just to the end. Yeah. And then we'll, then we'll get into what we think of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So delivery truck is driving down the road. We've got the helicopter. We've got the, you know, detectives, John Doe's all handcuffed up. So there's lots of people around that can help anything that comes out of this. And this poor little delivery man is just delivering a box. So he's all freaked out, drives off. And Somerset is the first one to open the box. And you don't know what is in the box, but you see the look on his face and the acting. And um, he you know, looks over at Mills, who has his gun pointed at John Doe and starts running over. And that is when John Doe starts to tell the story that envy was my sin. I was envious of your life and then he said i wanted to play house so i went to your house and i took a souvenir and then he says her pretty little head and mills is like no he doesn't believe him uh it's really gruesome you don't even actually ever see her head but you know that that's what it is based off of morgan freeman's acting and 
Uh, it is just a really emotional scene. And then that's when Brad Pitt's acting really just gets me. I mean, his grief is yeah. so raw and hard to watch. Um, and, you know, John Doe is really taking a risk here. Like, okay, that this was my form of envy. I wanted to take something that didn't belong to me. But now he is counting on the wrath of mm-hmm. Detective Mills to kill him. And he would be the final victim and body. And, you know, Morgan Freeman's character is like, don't do it. This is what he wants. This is what he wants. Don't do it. But in that moment, I mean, his wife is gone. So he shoots him in the head. And Mm. that's that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, who could say like, if you, if I was in that situation, like, I don't think I could no. not pull that. Sh- you know what I mean? Right. Like exactly. Damn, everybody shoots. Everybody shoots. Him. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, it's crazy. It's like, yeah, you know, like, yeah, you pull that trigger. He wins. But I mean, just took everything you cared about. And also you didn't even mention Laura, the whole thing that he didn't know she was pregnant. <sighs> yeah. Know? I mean, that was a whole nother layer and that, yeah. you know, and that whole thing on his face of like, Oh, like he didn't know. And, you know, and that's when you talk about rapids acting in this scene where he is, where he is like, he'll hold the gun tighter, pointing it angry in his face. And then he'll drop the gun two inches and be like grimacing, crying. And that back and forth, he does it like two or three times. Yeah. of just like, Oh my God. So raw. So great. Yeah. Um, what, do, what do you think, Greg? I have nothing to add. You're, you're all absolutely right. The, the emotions were very raw in that scene. And then just the absolute nature of what he had done. It's, I mean, one of the worst things, one of the yeah. worst concepts mm-hmm. in film history to me. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, everybody's acting in that scene is so perfect. You know, you have Morgan Freeman trying to plead with him, you know, uh, to, to put the gun down. He's going to win. You have the John Doe character almost smirking, you know, being like, I got you. Like, what are mm-hmm. you going to do? And and this and that. Uh, it's just it's such a great scene. Um, and even the car ride leading up to it, they have mm-hmm. that conversation. John Doe's in the back seat, Summers and Mills are in the front seat and they're trying to pick his brain. Why are you doing this? Where are you leading us? And there's that back and forth, you know, between essentially three incredible minds and, but in just different ways and watching mm-hmm. them debate the rightness or wrongness of, of what he's doing leading up to that. And, you know, you don't know, you really don't know who has the upper hand. I mean, generally I feel like you are led to think that John Doe, because he's so, calm and composed you know something's happening but you just don't know what yeah and then it it turns out like this it's just so horrific yeah that that car ride scene is another great like uh you know pacing scene where it's slowing Mm -hmm. down the moments letting them have a conversation you have brad pitt being you know mills in there where he's screaming and yelling and tell him to you know shut the fuck up and then you have just morgan freeman they'll just cut to him and he'll just be glancing at the mirror slightly like looking at and then they'll show you know john doe in the back like his eyes looking at freeman and just like that like little trifecta of directing acting is so fucking great Mm -hmm. so great uh one thing i found interesting i actually read about this is the whole gwyneth paltrow head box scene there's a lot of people that remember watching this movie and saw her head I, I read about a whole no. thing online that it's just suggestive, right? Yeah, so people so, think they mm-hmm. swear that yeah. they see it, which this I would normally make fun of. I would normally make fun of this, but you guys know well 
like with War of the Worlds. Oh my God, right. If you fucking think you see something, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's it. it. You all of a sudden believe the lie. So, yeah, exactly. I mean, this I also it. this also goes back to Halloween, the original Halloween, how they pull up Michael Myers' mask oh. in that one scene and everybody, most people are like, oh my <laughs> God, he's deformed. But it was just the actor's normal face. But that's what- the Normal you, man. <laughs> yeah, that's what you think in that moment of like what somebody <laughs> should look like, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but it's like that. Like people remember this movie, maybe only seen it once because it is pretty gruesome of being like, oh my God, I can't believe they showed her head i heard i read one line one thing online some lady was like screaming on some thread or something like that it being like i can't believe they did like a they did like a bust of her head and it was all gory i can't believe they showed it and then the the director or whoever was talking to her was like they didn't show anything lady like that's you and she's like oh oh, okay and it's just so interesting like your mind will just think about what's in that box and so then like if you never see this movie again for decades you're automatically like oh yeah i saw it you know, it's so interesting to me, you know, mm-hmm. that's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, let, let's talk a little bit, you know, lastly, I think here about John Doe's like rationalization of like why he is doing this. You have a little bit in the car scene of him talking about why he's doing things. Um, Greg, do you want to kick us off and kind of see what you think about what he's doing? Why, if it worked or not? What do you think? Yeah, of course, the whole time you, you look at the, you see the aftermath of the crime scenes and you look at how horrific it is. And there's no question he's an absolute psychopath. You look at his crazy journals uh, and you look at his apartment, but when they're in this car ride, he finally speaks. And you you learn to understand that he he imagines that all of these all of his victims are guilty of overindulging in one of these seven sinful aspects of life. So he kind of goes back and forth with Morgan Freeman, and Morgan Freeman says he's a contradict you know he's he's contradicting himself uh, in a lot of ways because he takes pleasure in doing it. And if why would you take pleasure in something that you feel you were divinely told to do? So and then he kind of retorts by saying, well, I take no more pleasure than if Mills were to have me alone in a room and beat me to death. It's a an instinctive thing. An artist can take pleasure in his artwork. And, you know, he's kind of he to me, I feel like he fancies himself as a Dexter, as a, mm, a vigilante, yeah. someone who's killing uh, and, and, and torturing evil people and ridding this world of it. Um and I mean, you know, you could you could make a case. I don't know. I mean, uh, when it comes to the law, the the attorney who's intentionally lying to get criminals off, or there was the the sloth guy who was a, you know, a drug dealer and a child abuser. You know, there are some cases where these are definitely evil people in some way. But for the most part, you're just talking about people who. Um, that you're you're becoming the judge, the jury, the executioner for, and I, I think that's where he's wrong. Is like he considers himself to be the curator of right and wrong, and he his interpretation of of the sins, and you know, and maybe he knows this again. Maybe he knows that he's prideful, and I like I personally think that he's envious of every. It's not just Brad Pitt's character. I feel like he's envious of everybody. He's envious of all the people that he killed, you know, because he lives such a normal vanilla life. You can see he looks very, I guess, you know, um, asexual. He doesn't look like he indulges in in much. He, you know, he's bringing just simple groceries from the, the market. He's not eating much. He doesn't have a lot of money. He has a simple apartment. 
all of these very various aspects of life, I think he's killing these people because he's envious that they can do and partake in things that he kind of can't. And I don't know. I just feel like he's wrong because he's like taking in this into his own hands. But who's to say how much a person can eat or how much wealth that they can accrue before they are totally guilty. And it's like, we all experience all of these different sins in our life to some degree. Like, why should you be the one that says, Oh, over this line, um, you die, you get tortured. So I don't know. It was just very interesting car ride because he's making a case in which you see in a lot of absolute psychopaths, like the, the Ted Bundy's of the world, they have a really great way of um, collecting a following by trying to rationalize their, uh, their psychopathy in the murders intense. And he, mm-hmm. he's no different. It's really interesting scene. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was one time I ate like two large pizzas and like, I felt like my stomach was going to burst and like, does that mean I should be murdered? Like, <laughs> exactly. You know I mean? Yeah. You know, come on, give me a break. I mean, and what if you have like a, just a simple, disorder like what if you just happen to eat a lot or what if like the you know the what did you call her laura the lady of the night or something <laughs> what, what was your phrase i i was about to say prostitute sex worker sex worker okay you never know what kind of situation you're in to have to be in that to end up being there maybe you have maybe you have a pimp for a a guy who's managing you, who's just <laughs> abused you and brought you into this business. And maybe you need the money. There's all these factors that he's not taking into account, you know? So, I mean, these are all things that we have to, you know, when it, like my feeling is when it comes to whether these sins should be punishable, that's why we have law. When it get generally speaking, when it gets to the point where it hurts somebody else, then it becomes illegal. And we have a system for that, you know, mm. uh, Two pizzas though, Rob. You should have got killed for that. That's a, a lot of people. I mean, are they the, the New York style or are you talking like Chicago, uh, Chicago deep dish? Man, I think it was like the stuffed crust, man. I was, I was, I was in downfall. <laughs> <laughs> I was in trouble. <laughs> uh, but yeah, for, for me though, I, I think the thing that's so interesting about John Doe and, and why he's doing things, to me, it is a mirror image of Morgan Freeman's character's belief in like the the shittiness of this world, the shittiness of this city. Mm. And just they are clearly taking different paths and to deal with it. John Doe is like, I'm going to prove to everybody how fucked up things are by killing everybody. And Morgan Freeman's character was like, I just don't want to be a part of this anymore. I'm retired. I want to go live somewhere else and not be a part of this. Cause I mean, it's so interesting. Like most of the stuff Morgan Freeman is talking about how dirty things have become, how grimy, how fucked up people are. And just, he doesn't want to be a part of it. And it's the same exact thing as John Doe is saying, he's just willing to kill people. So other people will, will see what he sees in the world. Because you even have the very end of this movie with with Morgan Freeman's little voiceover. Did you guys catch that? It was like a was it Ernest Hemingway quote he said mm-hmm. at the oh, very yeah. end when he says uh, he quotes uh, you know the world is a beautiful place and worth fighting for. And then Morgan Freeman says I agree with the second part, being like you know the world is fucked up and it's worth fighting for. You know, so it's just I found it very interesting that these two characters to me are, are are very similar but just how they go about dealing with this destroyed gross world that this movie presents is, is the thing that's different uh, what do you think about that laura i think that's an awesome theory yeah i'm i think that's great i never thought about that i just keep seeing john doe is like doing this for something bigger i, I mean for me it's like yes he of course found people i think randomly that fit the bill of the crime but it was 
you know, if, if it wasn't that sex worker, he would have just found another random one. And it, it's all to show the world that, you know, there is this God and there are seven deadly sins that everyone's committing day to day. And that, you know, almost like an unspoken threat. Like if you keep acting this way, like you're going to get the wrath of God or yeah. the devil or hell mm-hmm. or I don't know. So for me, it's like, I just keep seeing it. This is so much bigger. Oh yeah. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Yeah. I, I just yeah. love that the writing perspective, putting these two characters, I think in the same time, in the same mindset with, to begin yeah. this movie and how it plays out with them at the end. So, and, and even at the very end, when you have some, uh, was it Somerset, summer, Somerset, mm-hmm. um, summer, Somerset, Somersault. Yeah. Yeah. Somersault. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man of the night. Yeah. Uh, uh, so you have, uh, you know, you have the very end when he's supposed to pretty much be retiring, I believe. And then I think the captain is like, you know, where are you going to be? And he's kind of like, I'll be around. Meaning to me, like, he's not going to fully retire to where he was yeah, maybe going to be. He's going to stick around because he does want to fight for this city and help out a bit. So I thought that was actually super cool uh ending for his character of being like he did change his mindset a bit you know yeah 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 uh greg did you have a did you have a grinding gears greg did you have something you want to talk about real fast yeah i mean it's it's so unrelated we we do a great job of we've talked so much about the sets in this movie and it's so uh grimy and dark and and rainy and the one thing that i just kept like pulling my hair out is why doesn't brad pitt ever have an umbrella like he's <laughs> yeah, walking true. around everywhere just in the rain at least put on a hat man it's like every day of his life is his first day in new york city it's like <laughs> and then he's constantly the thing that really got me is you know when he gets out of the rain and his hair is all wet he's constantly running his hands mm-hmm. through his wet hair and i don't know if this is just like a, an acting technique that he does but every scene it's it's him coming out of the rain and him going yeah mm-hmm. and it's just it <laughs> It really, my, my, my gears were getting on it their last leg yeah. um, by like the fifth time. It felt like a drinking Dang. game. Yeah. That's funny. Like That's get funny. an umbrella, buddy. I was actually, I, it's not a grinding gears, but the thing about Brad Pitt, and I noticed this a lot with um, movies like Ocean's Eleven, is he loves to be either eating or chewing gum or hmm. chewing something in a lot of his scenes. And this movie actually starts with him chewing on something he's snacking or chewing gum and i remember thinking like oh fuck is he gonna be chewing this whole movie this is gonna (laughs) this is gonna hurt me so bad but luckily it kind of like well that makes sense he's got like the iron jawline so in order to draw attention to that and emphasize that start to chew that's you have to (laughs) maybe that's why he's always rubbing his hair because he's got such a a dope hairdo it just draws attention Mm -hmm. to it you know yeah um yeah let's uh let's get to the ratings then let's get to our ratings here let's get to the end here uh so real fast rotten tomatoes for this movie you have a critic score of 83 percent you have an audience score of 95 percent so audience really loves this movie and i was interested because i really think this is a really great movie I was interested to see what the critics didn't like about this movie or what what is that the 26% that didn't like this movie and really going through a lot of their scores one I already called this out was unbelievable a lot of people just said to make this movie work you have to have you know a through f has to work perfectly for this killer everything has to work perfectly and it's just unbelievable for that to happen uh and the other uh half of the people really called out that it's just too dark this movie's too dark they didn't like it for that aspect um so that's just something i wanted to throw out there just so people know what some of the critics thought that negatively reviewed this movie 
but let's see what we think of it. Let's do one to five rating. Let's do how many Paltrow heads, how many Paltrow heads oh. are you given this movie? You know, maybe, maybe we didn't see it in the box, but we can visualize little Paltrow heads, one to five of them. Um, so what do you think? Uh, what do you think, Laura? How many Paltrow heads are you given this movie? That's so messed up, man. <laughs> you got to write it in the docket. Yeah. Oh God, I do have to write it in the docket. And you can do, po- you can do a little bit of positive negatives, of course, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, this movie's great. It's a solid four. I've liked it the first time I've seen it, and then I still like it now, even at this watch. I think the acting is really strong. Like I said before, I think it's really unique, hmm. and I really like the idea behind it, as gruesome as it can be. Uh, the gore actually didn't bother me, surprisingly. If anything, I think it added to the movie. Hmm. Wow. So, yeah, solid four. four. Nice, nice. I like it. Uh, what about you, Greg? How many Paltrow heads? And if you and if you do a half, you gotta describe what's going on there. Oh God, please God, don't and don't do say it. it was the baby. Oh. Don't say it was the baby. Oh, what? Oh my goodness! What do you think, Greg? I don't know where to start. Okay, well let me just start. I'll just say that I I really like this movie. It, as gruesome as it was, we've seen pretty horrific movies, so it you know it didn't it didn't break the bank there. Um, Morgan Freeman's acting, my goodness. It's just oh my he, like you. So who said it, Laura? He can do no wrong. Yeah, every, really. Every moment that he's in, he is an Oscar-winning actor. It's fantastic. Um, as horrific as it was, the ending gave it bonus points for me. The the way mm-hmm. that yeah. the bad guy loses, but he also kind of wins, and how yeah. we got those last two um, sins to happen. I thought that was very original. This whole seven sin deadly sins thing as a a, a homicide case if it hasn't been if it wasn't done before this movie this is an incredibly original script mm-hmm. um, and i loved how they would go back it's the concept of going back to these crime scenes for evidence they might have missed before morgan freeman they do it a couple of times yeah. and it makes you not appreciate maybe that's a bad word but revere this uh this psycho killer and how smart he was and how ahead of mm-hmm. detectives he was the whole time um and then just overall, Rob, you touched on it really well, is this, this concept of like apathy and whether or not you should care or not. And does that have value? I I loved how that just pervade the entire movie. My favorite quote, um, I, I wrote it here. It's there. Uh, it's after the sloth scene. And they're wondering why no one picked up on this guy who's been stuck to his bed for a full year. And Somerset goes... Victor, he's the guy that was stuck in the bed. His landlord said that there was an envelope of cash in the office mailbox the first of every month. Quote, I never heard a single complaint from the tenant in apartment 306, and nobody ever complained about him. He's the best tenant I ever had. End quote. And then Mills goes, yeah, landlord's dream, a paralyzed tenant with no tongue. And then Somerset goes, who pays the rent on time? And that's so brilliant because it's just that's the apathy of the movies. As long as your your tenants pay their rent, you could care less what's going on inside. Like you, mm-hmm. you turned a blind eye to any other noise you hear. And that's just that really set the tone for the whole movie. Just a lot of things like that. All the sets are really well done. I'm going to say she's 4.25. OK, what's the, the what's two, the what's the two five, Greg? What, do you, what is that? Oh, man, I'm going to say. uh <laughs> <laughs> how do you how do you fractionalize a head you guys want to keep doing fucking fractions i'm gonna keep making you give I'm gonna, weird answers i'm gonna say that the 0.25 is her brain 
that <laughs> it, it, it's her brain that she lost in a lot of her other movies because I'm not a huge Paltrow fan. Oh no! <laughs> so it's it was left on the table in this movie. Oh wow, that's interesting. But okay. you're saying you liked her in this movie. Mm. Uh, I liked one. Yeah, I mean, I liked one scene where she was able mm. to shine. Well, she's only in three, so I guess that's the one third of the movie. You know? Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, like we said, I think we all really enjoy this movie. I mean, it's it's like I said, 95 percent rated. It's going to be a great movie. Um, for me, like you said, uh, acting great. You know, of course, set design, story, of course, is awesome. Ending. I talk about ending a lot. If you can, st- one if you can stick the landing, I give you points. One if you can stick a fucked up landing, I'm giving you extra yeah. points because, like I said, not many movies would end this dark, and you can clearly hear from what we talked about the studio did not want them to end like this which to me is even cooler of a fucking ending that they did it um so i'm gonna say i'm gonna say four and a half and say 4.5 for me you know i'm doing a half a paltrow head you know um (laughs) is it sliced perfectly down the middle vertically or horizontally (laughs) (laughs) i don't know maybe it's just like you know john doe has like taken off part of her skin of her face and like think that's part of the 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 half point or something like that you know some, something I'm fucked not writing up. This that's down. definitely the most serial killer answer we've ever no. heard on the oh, okay. show <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> and if for greg having creepy journals i'm the one with the fucked up mind so i don't know what's gonna happen there you know uh yeah so like we said we we're very high marks for this movie it is a great movie of course that's why we like it so much um yeah let's get to the end here let's get to our closing now you know um so as we talked about in our monthly schedule we have out right now uh next week we're reviewing 2019's Laura, you got to pronounce this. I can't do the accent. La Llorona. There you go. Good job, Laura. And this one is the, this one is the Shutter original. We just want to keep clarifying that because there is two. Uh, this was our conjecture choice pick of the month, submitted by by uh, Jess M, who said that she was super excited about the new Shutter original movie, uh, which has been nominated for a bunch of awards and stuff like that. And that's why she wanted us to review it because it's just so prevalent right now. Um, so that's what's coming up next week. And also, if you haven't checked out our schedule yet, you can see what else is going on for the rest of the month. Where we have that on Instagram and Twitter at Conjecture pod and also our new website podpage.com slash conjecturing pod we'll have that uh posted there um and also please remember to keep keep sending us in conjecture choice picks for our next month to see what we're going to be reviewing there we'll pick one of them out and shout it out and be really no, cool. no more justin long picks so otherwise we're just gonna <laughs> you know rob keeps emailing ourselves with justin long movies he's yeah. stuff in the ballot box it's it's too much so anybody who yeah. wants to to shoot their picks in I'll oh, there, that. There, there's good. plenty of justin long movies we can go with so we'll, we'll yeah but okay i think there. we're done with his horror movies right yeah, well, I don't know. If, maybe I can say one of these other movies are, are horror-ish. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Uh, you know, oh God. <laughs> you know, there's there's some blood in Dodgeball. We can maybe watch that one. You know, um, so like I said, you can always contact us. Email conjecturingpod at gmail. Send us in those picks. Maybe you can send in a Justin Long movie. That'd be cool. Uh, lastly, remember to uh, please subscribe, rate, review our podcast wherever you're listening to it on. Uh, also, check out the other uh, shows on the Slash and Cast Podcast Network, slashandcast.net. Uh, so that's it from the Gold Room tonight let's uh put our drinks away no more drinking now laura put your drink away i know i'm sorry laura i'm sorry you know we're shutting down the bar uh this has been the conjecturing i've been rob and laura and greg and until next time remember horror subjectives and conjecture away say ya bye bye
What's in the box? Tell me what's in the box. What's in the box? <laughs>